It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud. I am Barton Simmons, and I'm alongside Bud Elliott, and it is the day after Halloween, and my house is sugared out. We have vats of candy that will all get thrown away over the course slowly. We gotta like, we gotta like siphon it out, um, kind of launder the candy out of the house into the trash can so the kids don't eat it all. Um, and, uh, we got a little football yesterday to go with Halloween. So bud, um, more craziness on the college football slate. Did Liam, Liam get a little candy in him before yeah. you were able to, uh, you know, get, get all the football behind you. He did. I, I, I had to extract a little bit of a dad tax as well. Uh, you know, just for, for safety. I mean, it, it ensures safety of the product. Uh, I've been but- eating a lot of candy and I need to get, I need to get away from it. Like it's, it's, uh, there's just so much that you just, every time, like usually when I just grab a banana or something, now I'm grabbing a handful of Reese's and it's just not really, it's not good. I got to tell you, like, uh, Reese's were a big winner. I, I think he did the thing where, you know, he's just so cute. And it was his first Halloween that he actually, you know, wasn't just a baby. Uh, like I gave him a piece of candy. I think his mom gave him one. Oh, okay. Yeah. You give a piece of candy. I know it's late at night. You can have one. Grandma gave him one. Grandpa probably gave him at least two. Grandparents are trouble, man. Yeah. Yeah, like you got you got to put them in check. Exactly. Um, well, he stayed at their house last night, so they 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 they, they kind of they kind of reap what no. they sow there. There's no question. Uh, because we do record this at uh, on on Sunday evenings, a lot of other pods have already hit some of these topics. We like to kind of be forward focused and go a little more deep dive on stuff. So tonight, we're not going to talk about Dan Mullen going WWE in the swamp. We're not going to talk about about Georgia. We're not going to talk about Notre Dame, and we're not going to talk about Clemson because clearly we have to talk about all those on the show that comes out on Wednesday evening because that will be our preview show for this weekend, and I don't want to double-dip that too hard. But there's a lot of other college football to get to, man. Like There were a lot of results this weekend that made me like, huh? Like, like you know, just I, if you told me like this would have happened or that would have happened, maybe, but like to the extremes that some of these things happened, it really made me start to rethink stuff. So I want to, for our opening segment, I, I want to rethink the Big Ten and and wherever you want to go with this. But I, I got I, I got to issue an apology here. Uh, on last week's show, I said that Maryland did not look coached. I actually don't think I was wrong that they did not look coached against Northwestern. 
But that offense looks coach now, man. 675 yards, 10 yards a play. I just did our every game review write up for uh, for 247sports.com. And I said, I think the only real error that Michael Oxley had was punting on fourth and two from the Minnesota 43. Like Minnesota wasn't stopping you really all night. And and that, I mean, Tagovailoa looked much better than I think I've ever seen him look in any setting. That offense looks looks downright decent, man. I mean, more than decent, but like like even if you merge the two games, like that, wow, I, I did not see that coming at all. Did you? Six hundred and seventy-five yards. It was, you know, when that happened. So that happened on um, that was Friday night, right? Yeah. So that, that when when that happened, it was like alarm bells started going off. Like, okay. This Maryland offense that was held to three points against Northwestern just did this against Minnesota. Like, whoa, maybe. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, right then and there on Friday night, I put money down on Michigan State. Uh, I think the, I think the line had already dropped a little bit, um, but it was like, okay. So if Michigan did that against Minnesota and Maryland actually did did like more damage against Minnesota. Like clearly we're dealing with the Minnesota defense. That's not great. And perhaps Michigan's offense is not as good as we expected, but that that is not meant to take anything away from what we saw out of Maryland, because you're right. I'd say that was the most shocking result of the weekend only because it was such a, I mean, Talia looked just flat out bad in, in week one. And he looked flat out good in week two. I mean, they put up like he he was he was accurate. I look and and I think you all see like Jake Funk gets a lot of credit. He rushed for 220 yards. And um, but the like I, I think I could have rushed for 150. I mean, the offensive line was was giving him some big holes. And uh I mean and that was sort of like as I as I um examined the best case scenario for Maryland and sort of an optimistic viewpoint for Maryland beginning of the season. One of the strengths was offensive line to, and to, to my estimation. And, you know, you would hope that the quarterback position was going to be uh, competent and you would have expected the wide receiver position to be a strength. And none of that was really ringing true in week one. And then week two, all of that kind of started ringing true. And so I guess the truth is somewhere in the middle, but man, that sure was encouraging. And look, they still got to get some defense figured out, but um, 675 yards. And like you said, what, 10 yards of play um, and an efficient night throwing the ball and a uh, efficient night running the ball. Like that's, that's a, um, that's a team that, that can, can scare some teams in the big 10 if they play like that. Uh, I think you have to feel good about Maryland getting at least one more, if not maybe two more wins, if if, if they can score like this. Uh, Barton, they ran 66 plays. 21 of the 66 were explosive. Wow. That's, dude, that's nuts. Like, like that, that's not something that we normally see uh, really, really at all. And the only reason Minnesota was kept in the game, uh, granted, Maryland's defense is not good, but what was essentially the, the punt there, and then two turnovers that gave Minnesota the ball uh, pretty deep in Maryland territory. Now, 
from stuff that made us change our opinions to stuff that kind of confirmed our worst fears, dude, Minnesota's defense sucks. Like, this is real bad. Because Michigan dropped 49 on you week one. Uh, I'm noticing some trends here of like extreme just nobody being around the ball at all when it's thrown to the receiver. Um, <laughs> mm, not not great. Not great. I, I, they lost a lot off last year's defense. I, I think they probably miss Antoine Winfield, who's, who's playing really well this year uh, in the NFL. But, I, man, I thought P.J. Fleck was like developing guys within this program. I, I had confidence in his player development. I, I know they don't recruit that well. Gosh, I mean, like last week against Michigan, 8.6 yards of play allowed. This week, 10 yards of play allowed. Like, this is nowhere close. I mean, they're a small sample size, granted, but they are last in the country in yards per play allowed, um, averaging 9.48 <laughs> yards per play allowed. And as, a, as just a, a little bit of context, to give you just a little, like, as if that's not, I mean, they're averaging basically a first down every play. Second worst defense in college football is UMass, which you would expect. UMass has been horrible on defense. And, and they're they literally are, a rent-to-win team. I mean, like, they they, they stand by at the ready for, for you to pay them $300,000 so they can come down and you kick their ass. And they are average, and they are averaging... They are allowing, on average, 7.65 yards per play. So Minnesota, averaging nearly two yards more per play allowed on defense than UMass, who is the 102nd worst team in, uh, defensive team in college football. That is, um, that's that. I'm just doing the quickly like so. 7.65. So to get another 1.8 yards or so. Um, you got to go to the 58th worst team. Uh, so the, the difference between a 102 and 58 is the difference between 103 and 102. <laughs> you know, it's never great to be like two standard deviations worse than the second to last team in something. And and that's probably, I mean, I, I can't do the standard deviation in my head, but like that's probably pretty damn close. Uh, Minnesota has, play next week. Who's going to play? Who, who's, who, who can we take the over on? Minnesota is one of those schools that you have to type in the name as well because they have the NFL team, so like it, it always comes up Viking schedule. Oh, damn it! They play uh, the COVID COVID uh, uh, riddled Illinois uh, Illini, dude. Well, I don't know, man. Maybe that's just just what the doctor ordered there. For we, Illinois. we might get a little juicy, like like you know Illinois team total over at like seventeen or something like that. That could be, yeah, taking it. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not taking the under. Immature uh, baby with with 31 targets, 17 catches on on 31 targets for like 210. Right. All right. He'll, he'll get us there. <laughs> All right. So is 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 Minnesota the worst team in the Big Ten so far? All right. I'm trying to think about this. I mean, we, I guess one, you could you could you could make a case for um, Illinois probably. But they came back against Purdue with their fourth string quarterback. Yeah. I mean, like they, they at least showed some fight against Purdue. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I think Minnesota losing outright as a 21 point favorite to a team that, that just got beat by 37 points by Northwestern and then being totally not competitive against Michigan in, in week one. 
it's yeah. it's a it for shakes two weeks, you up yes. a little bit. It sh- it shakes you up a little bit because um well okay so let's just go let's just go ahead and and calibrate how we feel about Michigan right now given the two performances we've seen. Last week we were all fired up about Michigan. Oh, look out for Michigan. Ohio State's got a game on their hands in a couple weeks. Michigan's offense and this, that, and the other. Joe Milton and Cam Newton. And and then they lose to Michigan State, who we didn't think was very good heading into the year. And, okay. And, and we're at a point, I think, where this is this is um this is the kind of loss that Jim Harbaugh is like can can accelerate things for Jim Harbaugh. Like we've we've there's there's a little overreaction consistently about Jim Harbaugh. Um but this sort of loss I guess depending on what it what how the rest of the season plays out. Like if Michigan State ends up being good, then who cares? If Michigan ends up getting a couple big wins, you know, beating Penn State or beating Ohio State, obviously, then we'll we'll quickly forget this. But um I don't know that I expect those things. I I don't really either. Um man. The, the one thing we said about Michigan last week was that they, they did a tremendous job of keeping the threat of Joe Milton's legs alive on basically every pass play. Minnesota had to account for Milton's legs on almost every throw. They stayed ahead of the down and distance. They 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 kept like they kept Minnesota in a bind. They, they had to respect the run. Minnesota threw or Michigan through a lot of play action. In this game, that was one of the two things that really killed them, right? They they got behind the chains. They were not able to run the football all that effectively on uh, on Michigan State. And then they asked Joe Milton to just chuck them all around a lot. And he's not that guy yet. I'm not going to say he'll never be that guy, but he's not that dude right now. 51, 51 attempts for Joe Milton. 300 yards. That's that's not good. 300 yards on, on 51 attempts is 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 very very inefficient. Um, I mean, lucky didn't have a turnover, uh, but like you could tell, Michigan State was not really respecting the run from him in these longer down and distance situations for the most part, and it cost him. He was not able to create those those explosive plays. I mean, I looking here, um, God, they were at home too. Longest play of the day for Michigan, 26 yards. Second longest play of the day for Michigan, 20 yards. Michigan State just didn't allow them to hit the home run and said, okay, we, we, we don't think you guys are consistent enough to drive the ball on us. Uh, you know, there, there, there's like a, a theme across college football this year, which is these supposedly explosive high-powered offenses just getting throttled by – defensive game plans of patience and um, sort of the, just sort of making them drive the field on you. And, and teams have not been willing and able to do that. And um, this is another example that it feels like, and, and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't broken down the film, but that, that's sort of the, and there was a few games on as I was watching. So, you know, correct me if this is a, a, a poor, um, reflection of the game but like my feel here is was exactly what you just said it was like that Michigan State was just going to keep everything in front of it um meanwhile on the other side of the ball like 
I'm a Don Brown apologist. I love Don Brown's um, enthusiasm. I love his coaching style. I love listening to him talk about defense. I love his aggressive mentality when it comes to scheming and game plan and the way he attacks offenses. But I think it's I think it's time to start like getting real with the the um deficiencies in a Don Brown defense and how they're getting regularly exploited. And if Michigan State with a true freshman wide receiver and Ricky White, who's good, and I remember him in high school and he I liked him, but I didn't expect him to go for two hundred and you know eight catches against Michigan in his second game of his career. Like there's a problem here with this defense if you're going to get torched like that. And and like you got to you got to make some sort of adjustment. You had to make some sort of acknowledgement about what is and isn't working and I just it doesn't feel like that ever happens. They're just going to live by it and die by it and they die by it way too much. So it, this is an important distinction for me here Barton because I used to think Michigan doesn't have the players to play this style against a certain select number of teams, namely Ohio State, right. Emma in the bowl game. But against most everybody else they play, they play this style and it works really well. So I kind of think it's a personnel thing normally, right? Like you can't play with this style against Ohio State with, with, with the quality of player that Michigan has. Clemson can't. Right, Clemson is very aggressive as well and tries to dictate it. They're, they're not hanging back and daring you to drive on them. They're 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 going after you, trying to knock you off, off down a distance, get you in long down distance with tackles for loss, you know, turnovers and whatnot. But this is very concerning, I think, if you're a Michigan fan because you just got beat through the air in the same way that like Ohio State is beating you through the air. Like your guys are getting bombed on, and like if they don't have the players to play this kind of this kind of defense against Michigan State, there's some other teams in this league that can light them up big time. Mm-hmm. They, you know, like last week against Minnesota, they allowed some big plays. But my, my fears about their secondary, which we discussed in the preview episode, not of the game, but of, of the Big Ten preview episode we dropped, we said, look, like, yeah, secondary is a concern. But, you know, we'll see what they can do. Don Brown's a good defensive coordinator. I don't think we like gloss over it, glossed over it, but like we 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 made we took time to note it. I, I look back in our notes, but dude, like we missed this. Was, this is a much bigger concern than I think we realized, and maybe we would have realized if we got to watch a spring game or something from them, you know, and and saw them getting bombed on. Well, look, Ambry Thomas is Ambry Thomas is was supposed to be one of their best players. Um, he's a future NFL cornerback. I don't know where he's going to get drafted, but he's good. And he's athletic enough, and he's a he's a former top 100 guy, and all that stuff. And he opted out, and that's a t- that that is increasingly looking like a pretty serious opt out for Michigan in terms of the way that they've been able to adapt. And I'll be interested in seeing what happens next because I do think that they like their their freshman safety, um, Macari Page, uh, and. Oh, uh, there's another one that that they like too that I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Dax Dax Hill is a really athletic safety right now with corner capabilities. 
I wonder if it's time to just kick him on outside. If you're going to play this this type of style, get your five star out there, who got who has a four three forty or whatever he's got, and let him let him lock on and and pull in your your true freshman safety and and see what he can do because, I mean, that's a that that's one that's uh, that they got to fix quick because it's not getting easier. So let's let's give Michigan State some love here and Mel Tucker some love. He he took over the job very late in the yeah. process. Didn't get a real spring. Uh, we criticized him after game one. I did especially for running the ball thirty five times through the first three quarters for one point four yards a carry. I'm like you're wasting your plays. Like Rutgers is clearly loading up against the run. That's what Shiano does. They're daring you to throw. And entering this Michigan game, the reason I didn't bet on Michigan State is because that was still in the back of my mind. I was like, okay, what is going on in Michigan State's practices that they are just totally like refusing to throw the ball against Rutgers until it's way too late and, and Rutgers knows they have to throw, right? Like that's that's weird to me that they would just try to establish the run over and over and over again into loaded boxes and, and, and have it get shut down. In this game, though, they actually came out and threw, and a Michigan player, I forget who said it, said basically, we, we thought they were just going to run. Hey, dude, I did too. Right, like because that's what they did or tried to do against Rutgers and Rocky Lombardi, thirty-two throws, three hundred and twenty-three yards. Uh, uh, some some sketchy game management decisions in this game by both sides. Mel Tucker would do something, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And then Jim Harbaugh would do something, and I was like, "Oh, so it was like they're going to one up each other as far as decisions, w- w- which decrease their win probability." But like, congrats to Michigan State for actually throwing the ball. And I don't think Lombardi's a great quarterback or anything like that at all. But they at least gave themselves a chance. They weren't just running the ball into the line for two yards and setting up second and eight every time. Like it, this was encouraging to see that that style of play was not here to stay for the long term, or at least that it, it was nipped in the bud after week one because that was not going to beat anybody. Yeah, I think this is. I mean, obviously a really validating win uh, for Mel Tucker. Um, I don't know about validating. There's a lot of season left. It was a very encouraging win. And that I mean, Michigan State looked well coached. They looked comp they played complimentary football. They 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 figured out how to win the game. They um and and I, I like it when 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 coaches trust their true freshmen and 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 have them ready. And and he trusted us. He had some good true freshmen and he had them ready. And they got in there and they made plays. And um, and so I look, I I'll be really intrigued to see what Michigan State looks like the rest of the year. I think so, like in the in the in the East right now, they've so they they lost to Rutgers already, right? So they got Maryland, Michigan, they got Maryland, Penn State, Ohio State, Indiana to go. They'll lose to Ohio State. Can they get another win or two in the East? I think they can get another win. Yeah. Now two maybe gets a little bit tougher in the East there, but I, I think they can certainly get, you know, one more win. Yeah. Um, it's just going to depend on, on, on how much this offense can hold. If they can do this to Michigan and throw for 300, they could, they could throw for 400 on, on Maryland. Maryland's defense is you know, not really showing many signs of life. Uh, you know, we'll see. Indiana has really not looked good so far, in my opinion, but they're 2-0. Uh, so you, you got to give them the respect for that. I 
I don't know, man. Like this is it's possible. It's it's possible. All right. So so Indiana is two and zero. They managed to beat Penn State. They they kind of pulled a rabbit out of their hat for that one. Rutgers. This is a like again. I mean, in a way, this is another really encouraging performance by Rutgers. Now, granted, they didn't even top two hundred fifty yards of total offense, but Indiana didn't even top three hundred fifty. So, it's I, I, you know I, I sit here, and I, the offense is still struggling, but Rutgers is still finding itself, you know, in these games, and they're being competitive and. Uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know what to make of Indiana yet other than just Tom Allen's guys always play hard They and, and they, they've got something to them. And I, I think he instills a little bit of, of intangible in that, in his teams. And we've seen it two games in. Um, so I, I don't know that this Indiana deserves a pat on the back for beating Rutgers. Uh, almost, this is more encouraging from, from the Rutgers standpoint, um, Indiana's got who they have this weekend, uh, Pitt, Michigan, uh, yeah, Michigan. I mean, talk about a game that's going to tell us something. Um, that's a, that's a tough matchup for Michigan, but I, I still would probably be at this stage. Like who would you, who, like, who do you think is going to win that game? So I, I didn't get to watch any of Indiana Rutgers and my questions about Indiana are basically, What's wrong with the offense? Is it the offensive line because they're not really blocking very well? Because this is two games in a row that they've they've done not done a good job running the football. I mean, even if you take the sacks out, two point eight yards of carry for the Hoosiers. That's that's not good. Or is it the loss of Kalen DeBoer, who's now the head coach at uh, uh, Fresno, right? Correct. The, the offensive coordinator. So yep. I I don't really know what is wrong with, with Indiana. If it's the offensive line, Michigan's defensive line is, is pretty nasty. Uh, but like Indiana has, has, has Filer. They, they, they have a bunch of dudes who can go get the ball if, if they can pass protect. And Indiana's defense is not terrible. It's not, not amazing, but it's not bad. I, Indiana looks a little more put together to me right now. Michigan's upside, I think is clearly higher if they can get it right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know if you've seen the line for that. I think I would still take Michigan in this one. I think it's Michigan by like three. Yeah, I it feel like that's right. going to be a public side, but I just I feel like I feel like I would t- take Michigan early um, because because you're right. I don't I'm not sure that that Indiana's figured it out yet offensively, um, but I think that uh, I do think it's capable because I do think Michael Penix is really good. I do think he has really good weapons. Um, but they just they haven't really been able to run the ball, and that's that's kind of a problem. All right, so one team that has figured out offensively uh, would be Ohio State, who came out and we talked in. I, I actually think we did a really good job previewing this game. Said, hey, like here's some areas Ohio State has to get better at if they want to make sure they don't, they don't get upset. Here's the, the the plan for Penn State: run the ball, play defense, try to basically shorten the game, uh, take your shots if, if they're there run the heck out of Sean Clifford. And they kind of did all those things. And we both said it's not going to work because Ohio State is too good. And Penn State doesn't have enough weapons at skill positions, especially with some of the injuries they've had. And you know, not not having you know, their, their star linebacker who's out. I, I, I got a, some new things that I learned from this game. Number one, Ohio State's defensive line was much better in this game, I thought, than they were against Nebraska. Uh, Haskell Garrett looked great for them 
pretty much the whole game. He, he was you know, sideline to sideline, good penetration. Ohio State offensive line against a very good Penn State defensive line was able to protect Justin Fields for the most part very effectively. I know Brandon Smith got, got a nice shot on him late, but uh, Penn State never had the ball with a chance to tie or take the lead after four minutes into the ballgame. It was like, okay, this game is kind of close, but Penn State never actually has the ball with the chance to do it. You know, so it's anytime that they got it to a one score lead, Ohio State then immediately answered and put it back to a two score lead. I, I, I still think Penn State. So let me ask you this Is Penn State the second best team in the Big Ten, even though they're 0 2? I mean, I, I, I am, um, I'm sort of holding a spot for Wisconsin in case it wants to show up to the party. And uh, I think, I think that could be potentially the second best team in the big 10, but I'm not like for an, (laughs) not even for an Oh, and two team, just, just generally speaking, I'm not really lacking in confidence of Penn state. I mean, I found like, I thought they were able to move the ball a little bit more than, than like, that was a, that was a good version of what I would have like thought was possible in this game from Penn state, like uh, on the spectrum of what was possible in this game that was on the good end. Um, There had some like wide receiver has continued to be a concern for me for this Penn state team. And Jahan Dotson made some fantastic plays. Um, The, the uh, Parker Washington kid showed up, you know, the, uh, you think even Keandre Lambert Smith, another true freshman um, had a couple catches. So, I think that they've got a couple players. They just, they don't have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Um, they don't have Justin Fields. And that's, then so they, they can't beat a team like Ohio State. But I think, I think I trust Penn State, even with the, the loss to Indiana. Again, that, that's so, such a weird loss. But I think I trust Penn State over pretty much everybody else in the conference. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I, we'll see what we get from Wisconsin. I, I was a little bit of a Wisconsin doubter just based on on I didn't love what I saw from their receivers and their backs in week one. I love their defense. I like Mertz a lot. I think their offensive line is, is probably pretty damn good. But, yeah, it's very weird to be saying an 0-2 team is, is the, the second best team in a conference. But, like, that's why you look at how the game was played how the team, each, each team moved the ball and, and not just the scoreboard results because we know turnovers have a pretty big luck component in them, right? And that's just kind of the way it is. It, it doesn't take away the end in a win, but if you're actually evaluating the teams and they line up again tomorrow, we're both taking Penn State, no doubt. I, I Or I, I, at least I would. Somehow um, this game, like I feel like both teams kind of left looking looking good. I mean... Penn State was competitive, and and yet Ohio State, even at like a 13-point score, if you just said, told me, okay, um, final score, this game is going to be 38-25. And if you told me that on Friday, I'd have been like, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe Ohio State is going to start to catch some doubters. But that was that's a that's a 13-point win that was never, never in doubt, never in question, never even nervous. Um, and, and yet I think that's, that sort of speaks to how good Ohio state is and, and, and what it takes to measure yourself against them. Um, because Penn state, just by uh, sort of keeping within that, like two score kind of range, I think that's a, it's kind of a win considering how good we think this Ohio state team is. 
it, it also showed me that Penn State has like an unwavering belief in in James Franklin and, and that coaching staff because Ohio State jumped them early, and it would have been easy for those guys, you know, with, with without uh, who's our linebacker who was out for the first half to do the targeting. Um, Luketta, Jesse right. Luketta. Like, so w- w- without Luketta and being thin at linebacker there relative to what they could have been, you know, they're they're getting exposed a little bit there. Ohio State is quickly up two scores on them. And you know what? Instead of panicking, Penn State stuck with its game plan. They made a couple little adjustments. They they stifled Ohio State's offense there for, for a couple drives in a row to where, where okay, Ohio State would get a get a first down, a couple first downs. Maybe they'd hit an explosive play, but they they weren't they weren't getting in the end zone. Ohio State was, was not executing quite as well when it got on the Penn State side of the field. And like that, that was impressive to me that, that Penn State has the maturity as a team to stick with this game plan and, and keep fighting to it and not, and not panic. Because I, I think a lot of teams playing playing Ohio State, seeing their season kind of on a brink, having already lost Indiana, you know, might 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 have. So Penn State stuck with it and to its or to to their credit, man. Um, I was impressed. All right, so you're re-racking your West standings right now. You're re-racking your your end of season predictions. Who are you predicting to win the Big Ten West? Is uh, is Wisconsin playing this weekend? I don't know. I hadn't heard. I mean, they got what twenty? I think twenty seven guys now. That's so, that's a lot of cases. Sounds like they're they're hurting. Some of that's coaches. I I think who are allowed to come back faster than players are because they're not, you know, running around. I've heard of I've I've heard of at least one more guy recently that I don't think has been reported. That's like one of their primary players. That's that's got it. So like I'm sure there's others out there. So it's it's um. Yeah, I think it's real right now. You know, this sounds crazy, but like, if is Purdue getting Rondell Moore back? I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know if I don't. Have I, they I, said I it's injury, or could it be non-injury? I haven't heard a thing about what it is, which is makes it me think that it's something a little bit um, uh, atypical. Yeah, and, and like like so meaning like. I would say either COVID related or not injury related. Like I don't, I don't think he's just got like a tweaked ankle, like an eligibility potentially type. type yeah, type, or yeah. something like that. I guess, like I don't know. I mean, I just that it just feels a little bit weird. So, honestly, man, like it's not out of the question, especially if they don't play this weekend, that Purdue could win the West. Think about it. They don't play Michigan. They don't play Ohio State. They don't play Penn State from the East. They already had the easiest schedule draw. If they knock out Wisconsin, there's not another team. They've already beaten Iowa, right? Like they they already beat Illinois. Granted, beating Illinois is not, no great shakes, but there's not another team in the West that is going to be favored big over Purdue. It's entirely possible that Purdue could could go and and could go five and two, right? With, with, with the Wisconsin game canceled, and and get in. Like that's that's very reasonable. So you're not feeling my Northwestern Wildcats, huh? That's the other one. Because they could get the tiebreaker over Purdue. They went and got got the win this weekend over Iowa. I, like, man, that's that's impressive. They're they're legit. Did you watch it? Like what well, I didn't get eyes on this one. So it, it was I I I just just bits and pieces. Um it it's it looked like a very old like I thought we'd get a little bit of new age Northwestern in this one, 
this game was very much old school Northwestern Iowa. I mean, I think both teams were like, let me see if I can pull up the stats. I think they're both like under four yards of play or something, or like certainly under five. Uh, and they were like both like under 300 yards of total offense. And, you know, Iowa jumped out early because they got some, a uh, couple turnovers, uh, short fields to work with. Uh, and, and, but Northwestern just sort of kept on plugging along. Let me see. So yeah, both under 300 yards of total offense yards per play. Northwestern was 3.5 yards per play. Iowa was four. So, so look, but I, that does like, this is just, that's, I mean, the, it's just kind of old habits, die hard muscle memory. This is the way these two teams are used to playing. And so they just settled into their old kind of rhythm and they, they settled in for a slobber knocker and Northwestern got out of there. So, Iowa's sitting here at 0 and 2 right now. And I think this is just sort of your same old Iowa team as always. So I think Iowa is, is capable of, of beating anybody in the Big Ten West. I think Northwestern has got one quality win behind it. Um, and, you know, this is, it's, I don't think it's going to be like a, some sort of an easy path, but uh, I think Northwestern's capable. Um, Wisconsin's still probably the best team in the Big Ten West, but yeah. I still think like we're we're looking at a weird situation where absolutely this is a to me kind of a toss up. And yeah, I think I think Purdue's got a shot at this deal, and and I think Northwestern has a really legitimate shot at winning the West as well. Especially now, here's the thing: if Wisconsin were to have a third game canceled due to COVID, and that's obviously way off in the distance because we don't even know if, if they're going to have this weekend's game canceled. And the rest of the league is able to average at least six games. Then Wisconsin's DQ'd by rule. Is that that is that the yeah the rule? So you, you have to in? you have to play six in, in order to get in, unless the league's average number of games drops below six, in which case you have to be within two games of the league average. So, for instance, if the league's average dropped to five, you could actually get in if you play only three which is crazy, but like that's within two games. But if everybody averages, you know, kind of roughly about what they're expected to average as far as number of games played, and you don't have six games, you can't get in. So Wisconsin's kind of, they they kind of need to play this weekend or at least not have next weekend's game canceled and be very clean for the rest of the year. It's, uh, that, that, that'd that be a shame if that's the reason, you know, why, why they can't go. God, but it's something about, to monitor. Talk about frustrating. Oh, I mean, they're about off season. To... Like you're doing these COVID protocols, man. Like you're, you're, you're not going out. You're not going on Halloween seeing, seeing your non-football friends. You know, like you're kind of just locked up in your, in your dorm the whole time. And you can't even play. I feel like I've, we'll see. I feel like, I feel like Wisconsin's season is like quickly slipping away from it right now. And you can uh, kind of say the same thing about Iowa, by the way. Like they had a really tumultuous offseason. I'm interested to see which direction that team goes. Like to your point, they could easily just become a typical Kirk Prince team. But also, like, and this might be more narrative than anything, but they could easily kind of go the other way. And yeah, and not Did you not see Amir Smith Marset got a DWI or something, something, some yeah. sort of uh intoxication charge. He's suspended now. So that's that's um, not great not for them. A, not ideal. 
It no. was Halloween night, you know. Some shenanigans are are not unexpected, uh, but not ideal. Definitely not. Uh, by the way, he is their leading receiver, um, eighty four yards, seven catches on eight targets against Northwestern. Eighty four yards in that game is like two hundred yards like in another. Mo- game. It's like most of the offense. <laughs> yeah, that was. It's like uh, did he have their only explosive play on the day? No, he didn't. Okay, somebody else had a 22-yarder. All right. Yeah. So after the ad break, I got a couple things I want to get into. We got about about 20 minutes here. Are you ready for a two-loss Oklahoma to make the playoff? I'm going to ask Barton that question. And then we have a mailbag question about the Pac-12 and maybe a Pac-12 potential playoff contestant. So see you all in a second. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. All right, dude, we're back. And uh, we spoke about uh, about Oklahoma and how two weeks ago, Vegas still thought Oklahoma was the favorite to win the Big 12. And, and we both said, okay, I could see it if they improve. But somebody's still got to clip Oklahoma State. This is like the most – if you're a Texas fan – is there any possible way you could be more pissed about a win? Because like they, Texas did not deserve to win this game at all. They had Bill Connolly's lowest postgame win expectancy score of the year at 3%. So a team moving the ball like this and getting stops like this could expect to win the game 3% of the time. And yet Texas does it in Stillwater. They get the upset. Somebody who had Oklahoma State at a really nice number is not really pleased with this result. But now, man, like things are shaping up for the Sooners. They they pace Texas Tech. Oklahoma State's got to go and play them, what, not this weekend, but, but the weekend afterwards. And Okie State, they're not going to have the tiebreaker against Texas. If they lose Oklahoma, they won't have the tiebreaker against the Sooners. You're the Big 12 guy here normally. Take this where you want to go because there's a lot of different potential things we, we could chat about here. But, like, Oklahoma – is kind of in the driver's seat. All right. So first of all, I think the the Texas Oklahoma State game is it's it's a really interesting result because I think you can probably spin it in your favor, whatever narrative you're trying to present. The way I'm gonna spin it, the narrative that I would like to present from this game is that Oklahoma State is who we thought they were. Like they are actually good. Yep. This is a good team. This is a team that's a better team right now than Texas. I know that sounds pretty counterintuitive and maybe even like a little bit um, uh, 
I don't know, like, like, like maybe a little bit like sloppy to sit here and be like, well, they're better than the team that just beat, but they, they like were objectively better in just about every category you could, you could uh, like, um, quantify in this game. The one category that they, that they weren't is, is turnovers. Um, and that's been like, and that's, that's not a, an exception. That's not a, that's not a freak incident. I mean, Spencer Sanders is in fact loose with the football. That That is one of the issues that Oklahoma state has or has had. And so I'm not saying that to dismiss the loss because that is something that needs to get fixed. But I think that Oklahoma state can move forward from this game with some level of confidence that they let this thing slip away from them. And they are, I mean, I don't know that they're ever a team that feels like they're like, you know, second rate to Texas, but I mean, look that like they, they know what they should have won that game. They're going to look at, they look in the same film we're looking at. Um, so that that's, I think point number one, um, an aside there, the one thing that te- Oklahoma state didn't have in that game that Texas did was Joseph Osai, who was an absolute monster in that game. So, uh, Hey, Guy made some plays. Um, but to your Oklahoma point, so let me let me let me sort of put a pin in your question, and I'm gonna ask you a, a, a different question. Because I was it was asked to me on um radio on on um CBS Sports Radio here recently from John John Kincaid asked this question, and so it got me thinking, and I and I'm curious what your answer would be. So we we clearly have the top three teams in college football: Ohio State, Alabama, and um, uh, Clemson. So, who would be the fourth team right now, based on what we know, and what we've seen? And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to exclude the Pac-12 because we haven't seen them. So, based on what we know and what we've seen, who would be the fourth team, regardless of their likelihood of making the playoffs? But who is the fourth team that you think would have the best shot of winning one game, winning two games, not being the most deserving, but just the one that could create the most problems in the playoffs for those top three teams? Ooh, okay. God, it might be Georgia. Just just athletically and the defense, and we'll we'll see who plays for them, you know, this weekend. And I don't really trust that offense, so maybe that's a bad answer. Uh, but I don't really trust some of the other teams' elements. Like, do I trust Florida's defense? Do I actually – like, there is a pretty big drop, I think, between one, two, three, and everybody else. Absolutely. No, I mean, I, yeah, and, and I'm not trying to say it's, it's a good question not. for that reason. Yeah. I. Are you suggesting me that I should say Oklahoma or Oklahoma State? <laughs> I'm so, so okay. So I was asked this question without without preparing. So I had to think through it in real time, just like you just had to. And as I was thinking through it, I think I came to the conclusion, and you might be right. I think Georgia is is, and particularly if they you know if JT Daniels somehow you know gets healthy, flies in with a cape on, and is is some sort of answer at quarterback, but. I'm not so sure that Oklahoma isn't the answer here. And I say that 
with the, um, you know, and, and I present Oklahoma and the case for Oklahoma is that like, this is not the Oklahoma that's lost to Kansas state. This is an Oklahoma, this is an Oklahoma that I think we're seeing improvements from. I think we're seeing Spencer Rattler grow up in real time. Like he is like when I feel like maybe a turning point was when they pulled him for Mordecai, um, Tanner Mordecai. What, what game was that? Um, it might've been, uh, might've been Texas. And, yeah. and he came back in and just sort of like settled down and, and wasn't trying to make everything a home run and just started taking what the defense gave him. And he seems to be, he have settled into that. Now you sort of, all right. So Spencer Sanders, Spencer, did I say Spencer Sanders, Spencer yeah, Rattler. Did. So Spencer Rattler, excuse me. Spencer Rattler has started to be, you know, he's playing better. He's being more consistent. I think it's obvious what his sort of ceiling is and how talented he is. All right. So now you had Ramondre Stevenson's coming off suspension at the running back position. Did you First see game, the shirt? No. What is that? Uh, I'm he back? scored three touchdowns and, and he pulled up, he pulled up his jersey to reveal the shirt that said, I'm back. Yeah. 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 I think I did see that actually. Um, so you got him back. You got Ronnie Perkins back, who had three tackles and two tackles for loss on the day. I don't know when Trajan Bridges comes back, but whenever he comes back, that's going to be a boon for the wide receiver group. Marvin Mims, a true freshman, has come along, though, as a real primary factor. Austin Stogner at tight end has come along as a real factor as a sophomore. Like The defense still isn't some wor- in, in a bunch of world beaters, but it seems like they've been a little bit more consistent over the last few weeks i'm just saying like the the way i phrase the question not necessarily who's the most deserving or or who has the best resume or anything like that but just the team that you'd be scared of if you're one of those big three i'm not sure that a lincoln riley coached offense that's starting to find itself and really start clicking isn't the answer to that question I don't really disagree. I, but I don't really agree either. It's just there are so many teams outside of the top three who have like an A graded unit and then like a C graded unit, right? Like the drop, there's no team out there to me that really has like a B and a B or, or, or excuse me, an A and a B. I think Oklahoma State, you might say like their offense is a B plus and their defense is a B plus. It may just, it may not be like dynamite. Oklahoma, I'm not really sold on their defense yet, but the offense is certainly coming around. The defense is coming around some. Georgia, clearly, like, you can't be sold on on that offense. Florida, you can't really be sold on that offense. Notre Dame, I feel like, is the most consistent team I can bet on here, but I just, against the really elite teams, I don't really trust that offense to throw the ball, given who they have at receiver, given, more importantly, who they don't have at receiver with, with Lindsey being out and then Austin being out for the entire year. If, if Oklahoma runs the table and they're sitting there as a two-loss conference champ and Bama and Clemson also run the table, is is like a two-loss Georgia or a two-loss Florida or a two-loss Notre Dame, are, are they going to get in over a two-loss Oklahoma who has a conference champion? I don't think you can put in a two-loss Georgia or Notre Dame in there if they've gotten swept by Clemson and Alabama. That's what I'm saying. I mean, how many chances can you give these guys? So I, I, I think you got to rule those out. So if Oklahoma runs the table and we get a Bama-Clemson sweep within their respective leagues, 
what's the argument? Maybe if AM can go nine and one, which I, I don't think the odds of that are actually as great as people think, like would you put them in after they lost to Bama by like 30? What about if Florida can can you know finish undefeated into the SEC championship game, lose a close one to Alabama? Would you would you be tempted for a two loss Florida to get in there? I think you have to be tempted. The, if, they, the quest- if they're, comp- I think if they're competitive against Alabama, that would be a pretty, pretty compelling case. They would still have two losses though, and so the question would become for the committee. I think, okay, we've never put our two loss team in before. This is a weird year, and we can do weird stuff if we want. But like, are we going to put in a two loss non champ over a two loss conference champ from a Power Five league? That actually played all the games. Like it's not like they're playing this this little half Pac-12 schedule. Uh, I don't know. That'd be a really interesting, really interesting debate. I mean, hell, like we also have to ask, what are they going to do with with you know eight and one Northwestern after they play Ohio State tough in the Big Ten title game? Like that's that's also possible, man. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's it's sort of eerie. Um, this happens every year. Usually it's one loss. This year it's two losses. And Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley's got to just sort of calm everybody down and say, look, we don't know what's going to happen. And things just kind of fall into place for them. And they're sitting here with a great opportunity for things to fall into place for them again. I think you're, I think you're right. Like this is a two-loss Big 12 champion Oklahoma, especially if they keep playing as well as they're playing right now. If they're If their suspended players continue to add a boost, it's going to be a tricky team to keep out. I, I agree. Although it, it does depend on, I think, I mean, obviously, like if Bama Georgia split or if if, if Florida gets in there and, and, and beats Bama in the SC title game, I, I do think a one-loss Bama sure. that loses SC title game would go. Agreed. Yeah. Um, all right. So speaking of going, let's go and open up the mailbag here from the Barton and Bud Apple podcast page. Just pull it up on your app. Leave us a five-star review. Drop your question in there. This is from 503. We were going to do it in the last show, uh, but we're going to save it for this one. 503 wants to know, he says, hey, guys, got a question for you. What do you guys think would happen with the 7-0 Pac-12 champion in the playoff playoff race? Could they slide into the four seed? Yeah, they could. I mean, they probably will. If there's a 7-0 Pac-12 champion, they're probably a four seed, don't you think? I I think so. I mean, it it would depend on, on who the champion is. Like how many ranked teams that league has? So, just pulling it up here. So Oregon is playing six games, and then they play a potential, you know, title game. Obviously, they don't play anybody on their schedule right now who is currently ranked. See, I think the Pac-12, like they did what a lot of people wanted. Big Ten, SEC, and ACC to do, which was sort of give a clean slate to the contenders so they have the best shot at at running the table and getting in. Like the SEC did. Right. And I think that that was a... I think the Pac-12 m- may have miscalculated here because they didn't get any... They didn't get any of the, like, premier cross-section, cross-divisional games. Uh, they left those... They left like some easy paths as easy as they could make it for the, for the strong contenders. I think that would actually like benefit them to play given the, the perception of the league 
I feel like being able to get a quality win in before the the conference championship game would would be helpful. Um, where do you fall there? So I I mostly agree with you if we were using computers more who, who could see the quality of opponent. But if we're just talking about like where these teams are ranked, the, the polls certainly fall victim to this. And I think to some extent, the playoff committee falls victim to this. And that is they fall in love with having a zero in the loss column. And so if the Pac-12, if, if they correctly ha- have pulled off this gamble, which is that somebody's going to come out of the West with a zero or a one next to their name, and somebody's going to come out of the North with a zero or a one next to their name, they will have successfully created that drama on the final weekend of, hey, these are clearly like two elite teams. With all these other conferences knocking knocking people down, like I, I do think some of these pollsters are going to – and the committee is absolutely influenced by the polls to some extent. I think that the pollsters will fall in love with these teams that even if they don't have that many wins, they have very few losses. And you're going to have a lot of these teams in, in the Big Ten, you know, SEC, ACC – who are probably better than some of these Pac-12 teams, but they're gonna ha- their record's gonna be like five and five, or six and four. They're gonna have a four in the loss column, and the Pac-12 is the new hotness with you know zero or ones, maybe maybe a two in the loss column. And I think that they may be able to to hype this thing up to get in, but I do think it has to be a like the committee has to be influenced by the polls, like they have been in the past. We have to see what, what respect the polls give to the Pac-12. So far, it's not off to a great start in preseason with uh, very few teams you know, ranked in there. But I also think it has to be a specific team. I don't think you can have a dark horse come from this league. There's not enough time to develop that dark horse hype, right? To me, it has to be, I think it has to be Oregon or USC. I don't think, I don't think you're going to buy into Utah. I don't think you're going to buy into Washington or you know Cal or Stanford or whomever you, you want to put in there, Arizona State. So the only th- I, I two two things. One, I I actually think there's only one playoff contender in the Pac-12. Um, who do you th- who who would you if if I had to give you one, who would you say? I think you're probably thinking USC, yeah. because Oregon's lost a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think it's U. I think USC is the one playoff contender. Um, and I'm not, you know, I think it's possible someone else emerges from that conference undefeated and gets into the playoffs. I'm not sure that t- I don't have confidence. If if someone else gets in, I don't have confidence that they're going to be competitive. And I don't have confidence that USC would be competitive if it gets in either. But if someone were to become a competitive team with those top three, USC seems like the, the candidate because they have the quarterback and Keaton Slovis. They have the wide receivers. We've talked about that before. They're sort of a, a, a more veteran roster. Like they're still hanging around the, the top of the, the team talent composite rankings. I think they're like 10th maybe. And they have had, a, they had a horrible recruiting class last year. I don't think they had a great one the year before that too, off the top of my head. And so they're just that that team talent composite ranking is just based on all these really talented guys that are now juniors and seniors and, and like they've had some injuries and and things of that nature and they're still around. And I I just think that this is a team that could be really talented 
because there's a difference between having a really talented roster that's young and having a really talented roster that's that's veteran. And I just think that the returning quarterback, returning offensive coordinator, um, a veteran roster, like I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that USC could be really good this year. Um, I I think Oregon can be really good this year too. Could have been better because if they had a they had some serious opt outs. And we don't know what can, what the quarterback position is going to look like. There's a lot of unknown with with um, with Oregon right now. But the one other team I want to throw at you, I feel like there's enough like brand awareness and recent success that if Washington sort of messed around and comes out here and is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. I think that they could could climb the rankings quickly, and and I, I think that that could be maybe the only other team that I, I could see sort of shaking things up because I think Washington. I'm not confident that they're going to be good, but I could very easily see a scenario where Washington is really really good. This is kind of a Washington podcast. Like, like we, we we've been on Washington pre pandemic, honestly, or, or or well, I mean, like pre realizing the pandemic was going to shut down football for a while. Been trying to hip to get people hip to Washington early. The in the, like, early like the Washington game. has been better than, than their record the past couple of years. Like they've had some bad luck. They 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 recruit well. You know, like they're they're like a like basically a blue chip ratio team, which they're not going to be top ten team talent composite, obviously. But they're they're pretty well. I, I love their player development. They 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 know what they are. At least that you know under Peterson they they, they did at least. I think Jimmy Lake is a good hire. I think he's going to do a nice job. A lot of these internal guys have actually done a really nice job. Cristobal, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day in, in the early signing period era. Like the internal guys have actually been a lot better than the external hires. That's that's kind of a project I'm working on on, on the side here. I don't think Washington could do it. I, if Washington rolls through this thing seven and zero, I think people are going to just view that as okay. The Pac-12 is really down. I, I don't think they have enough preseason hype. To me. It's USC due to brand name and preseason rank, and Oregon due to brand name and and very high preseason rank. Now I don't think Oregon's going to get through it undefeated. Maybe they will. You know, maybe Chris Baldus has that much talent there, and Joe Moorhead's a big step up at offensive coordinator. We'll see. But Washington might be one of those teams if they were to run through it undefeated that we look back and, and as they're winning their, their BCS bowl, and we say, "Damn, that Washington team is actually." Actually, pretty good. Maybe they should have been in over a two-loss Florida or or whomever. I the only way I could see Washington getting in, and to 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 five oh three's question, yes, a seven and zero Pac twelve champion team. If that team is named USC or Oregon, I do think we have to include Oregon, even though we both have our doubts about them as a team. But like, if they now hold on, but be like, you tell me that's let's just say Cal, okay, non brand name school, but they go. Seven and zero, they they win the Pac-12. They beat USC in the championship game. You tell me they're not going to get into the playoffs? Yeah, I I, I don't think like I, I I think that starting this late and playing this few this few games is going to be a pretty big impediment. I I think the committee is going to hold huh. this against them. Interesting. I don't um, know that I agree with that. I I feel like uh if you're undefeated and you win a Pac-12 championship. Only because not like if there was another really good option and maybe one will emerge that'll make that tougher. Sure. But we've talked about like how 
how good the top three is relative to everyone else and how, how, how big that chasm is between three and four. And so if there's just flawed candidates and the committee has an opportunity to be like, well, I don't know, this team's undefeated. That's they a good point. lost yet. And they've won the chance. They won a conference. We're supposed to prioritize that to a degree. Oh, why, why are we keeping them out? I, I think I could see that happening. And, and a lot of this is going to depend on does Bama sweep? Does Clemson sweep? You know, if, yeah. if they don't, if, 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 if Bama loses or if Clemson loses, and then the, you know, the, the teams that beat them basically went out and we, and we get some split action, then, then I think the Big 12 and Pac 12 potentially. Dude, the, whether it's Oklahoma or the Pac 12 or whoever is expecting to, is hoping to get in there as that fourth team, man, they better put their, their cheerleading outfit on and get those pom-poms out and, and get their, get Clemson a win this weekend because Notre Dame ain't beaten Clemson twice this year. And if they beat them this weekend and Clemson goes and beats them in the, in the championship game, then, you know, that's going to be a problem for, uh, for the, the fourth teams. Cause Notre Dame then I think has got a really good case to get in as a fourth team. Especially if Clemson were to come back and win that AC title game close with Trevor, right? Yep. If it's a total blowout, I think it would maybe sort of invalidate the the sure. Notre Dame win. Sure, but if if that were if that were to be close, and I think it's hard to blow this Notre Dame team out because they, they do play good defense and they run the ball well and they, they don't give up a lot of sacks and you know crazy negative plays. Um, yeah, man. Like, but I I think five oh three. Being a Pac-12 fan, I think seven and zero can get you in, especially if it's one of your two marquee brands. Barton clearly, like Barton thinks, if if they were to go Washington, seven and zero would get in or, or would have a pretty good shot. I don't know. I I, I got to be convinced on that. Just looking at how the polls are treating the Pac-12 right now doesn't give me and and even like those polls back. Remember when, when we lumped in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 into those things when, when mm-hmm. the polls started included those. Pac-12 just wasn't getting many votes. And I was like, oh, this is this is not a good sign. Um, but we'll yeah. see, man. This, this is going to be interesting. No doubt. All right. All well, right. Uh, we got some big games to preview this week. So we got to rest up, get some get some uh, carb load, something like that. You know, we got, <laughs> we got another big week coming up. So um, purge all the candy, get your mind right. We'll talk again midweek, huh? No doubt. All right, buddy. See ya. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.